Amen. Amen. You know, I just, it, I'm so honored to be here with you guys today. My name is Gina McLean, if I've not met you, and I have the privilege of leading kids ministry here at Faith Promise Church. And uh, yeah, thank you. There's some of my tribe right there. You know, it's funny, as I watch that video, I'm just kind of pumped that I'm still grouped and lumped in with the young communicator piece, right? Because thank you. Here's my thing. I figure if I just divide my age in half, I'm living my 20s over again. I'm just going to do a better job this time. So I am so thrilled to be with you guys here today. In fact, as we're finishing up this season, Kingdom Come, the theme this weekend that we are really centering in on is the idea of freedom. And how appropriate that is for, uh, for this weekend as we celebrate our nation's independence with the 4th of July. Absolutely. You can clap at that one, too. He said clap, so feel free. So here's what I want to do. You know, it's really funny. When I think about freedom, I wish that I, I were more patriotic than I actually am. I mean, I am a citizen of the United States, have been all my life. Um, and, but it, if I'm really honest, the moments when I think about the word freedom— I wish that I could tell you that what pops into my mind is that Star Spangled Banner, right, with fireworks going off everywhere, music playing in the background, like this powerful moment that we, that we as Americans absolutely love. But the truth is, the first image that pops in my mind when I think of freedom is Mel Gibson's face painted all blue, right? <laughs> and he's dressed in a kilt, riding a horse, empowering and engaging his countrymen, right? And he's crying out, freedom, right? Remember that? And all I'm thinking in this moment is I've got goosebumps is, where did he get blue face paint in that era? Where did that come from? And what in the world is it like to ride on a horse in a kilt? Because it does not look comfortable. The other thing that I tend to think about when I think of freedom is actually my childhood. You see, I am a classic 80s latchkey kid. I grew up, by the time I was in, in uh, elementary school, my older brother and my younger sister and I would come home from school, we would let ourselves in the house because my parents both worked full time. Now that was freedom. <laughs> Amen, yeah? For two hours every afternoon, we had rain of the house. And the funny thing is, we fell into the same pattern every single day, right? It was drop the school bags, go watch some cartoons. Go eat a snack, then go watch some cartoons. Then get in a fight, and then go watch some cartoons. Then get in another fight, and then go watch some cartoons. And then you hear the garage door open. <laughs> then you run to get your chores done, right? That was our afternoon. That was our freedom. The funny thing is about freedom is we love the idea of freedom. If I were to sit down with each one of you today over coffee and ask you, do you want freedom? I believe that your response to me would say, would be, yes, I want freedom. I think all of us love the idea of freedom. And we are citizens, as citizens of the United States, we enjoy uh, the, the, uh, the benefits of living in a free country. This act right here of gathering together and worshiping uh, of our own choice out in the open, that is a result of freedom, exactly. And people have given their lives for that. But here's what I would suggest. I would suggest that despite the fact that you live in a free country, the despite the fact that I live in a free country, there are many people sitting in this room today that are not, in fact, free. I'm not referring to political freedom that you enjoy as a citizen of the United States. I'm actually referring to spiritual freedom. 
You see, there are a lot of people sitting in this room, and although today we are all dressed nicely and we've got our makeup on and we look good, if you scratch under the surface just a little bit, what, what, what you will find and what we'll find is that many of us walk around in bondage. That bondage might look different for different people, but that bondage is a result of experiences that you've walked through in your life. Maybe broken marriages, maybe just overwhelming debt from poor financial decisions, maybe abuse that you've suffered, maybe abuse you've inflicted on someone else. You see, each and every one of us has walked through experiences in our lives, and those experiences have, may have caused some hurt. Those trials may have caused some pain. And unfortunately, sometimes what we do is we take that pain and we just hang on to it. And we carry it with us every single day. We put it down long enough to sleep, but the next morning we wake up, we pick it right back up again. The thing is, is what we have a tendency to do is we carry that pain with us for so long that eventually it no longer is a circumstance that we walk through. It becomes how we identify ourselves. It becomes part of our identity. What I want to do today is I want to, to look back at what the founding, our founding fathers did and, to, and, and look at some of the postures that they had as they led a battle to our free, the freedom for our country because I think that if we can look at their postures and if we apply those postures to our own life, we will discover some steps that we can take that will lead to freedom in our own lives. You see, if you look back and you, at the Declaration of Independence, the, the authors of the Declaration of Independence, when they put pen to paper, they defined some truths that were not realities for them, right? What was one of them? One of them was that all men are created equal. That was one of the things they said. All men are created equal. That is a truth, but it's not a reality that they experienced. They wrote that all men have certain inalienable rights, and yet that was, not a, that was a truth, but it was not a reality that they experienced. Their lives were alienated on a regular basis. But that declaration of independence led to the battle towards freedom because they believed that those truths, though those, those truths were not their reality, they were worth fighting for. The same is true for us today. See, there are truths that are written about us, and they are found in Scripture. But you might read those truths today and say, but that is not my reality. You know what? They can be, if you're willing to fight for it. You see, every, every declaration, a declaration of truth is the first step in a battle to freedom. A declaration of truth is the first step in a battle to freedom. And what I want to do is I want to share with you a little bit about my battle for freedom. Two confessions I'll make to you right now. Pastor mentioned that the person standing on stage might be a little bit nervous. He's exactly right. The funny thing is, is I'm not nervous about being here. It's not the stage. It's not the audience. I'm one of those weird people that I'm oddly comfortable in a scenario like this. I actually enjoy this a lot. It's energizing for me. What's really hard, though, is what makes today difficult and makes me, what makes me a little bit nervous today is the fact that I, today I'm going to pull the curtain back just a little bit and share about my own journey. And that's difficult because I've never shared my journey in this, in this context. And so your grace for me would be greatly appreciated. Here's my other confession. Um, well, no, I don't even know. I don't remember what my other confession was. So there, you got one out of me. We'll just stop there. <laughs> Y'all are like clap happy today. Let's keep going. That feels good. No, I'm just kidding. So 
Declaration of truth, right? Declaration of truth is your first step in a battle towards freedom. Here's my declaration of truth. Psalm 139, verse 14. In fact, if you brought your Bible with you, if you have a Bible up on your phone, go ahead and open it up because we're going to sit there for just a little bit. Psalm 139, verse 14. This is my declaration of truth. Here's why that is true. This scripture, I remember the first time that I heard this scripture, I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. I remember the first time I heard that verse. I was six years old, and I was sitting in the First Baptist Church of Noble, Oklahoma. You see, it was not unusual for me as a little girl. I would go to my grandparents' house on a Saturday night, and I would spend the night, and the next morning we would go to church with them. And every time that I would go to church, I would sit in the elementary Sunday school, and I had the same Sunday school teacher. I distinctly remember him, brown suit, white shirt, black, funny-looking tie, I don't remember his name to save my life. We called him Smoker Coffee Breath because that's what he smelled like, <laughs> right? And so one day as we're doing, we're listening to the teaching, and he's teaching on Psalm 139, and Smoker Coffee Breath is so intense on making sure that we understand that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. In fact, he's looking at each and every one of us and locking eyes with us and saying, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He wanted to make sure that we knew that that truth that we knew that truth and that truth was deeply embedded in us. And as a six-year-old, I sat in that room and I nodded my head just like everybody else did, right? But everything in, inside of me was saying, no, that's not true. Not me. You see, even at six years old, I learned very quickly that I was not lovable. I couldn't necessarily explain to you why, it's just that's what life taught me. I grew up in a home with, a, with, a, with a, a mom that was very, very distant. I couldn't explain the distance. I didn't know why the distance existed. If I could describe my relationship with my mom in three words, I would say it was cold, distant, impenetrable. And no amount of works that I did to bridge the gap seemed to make it better. I didn't really know what it was that was in the way of our relationship, but I figured that whatever it was, it was my fault, that I was simply not the daughter she hoped that I would be. As we grew up, or as I grew up, that, that gap just got wider and wider and wider. By the time I graduated and left home, we had barely a relationship to speak of. For much of my young adult life, I say young adult, actually for much of my life, I walked around with this gaping wound this gaping hole. I was so desperate for somebody to love me like a mother would love me. And I didn't know how to fill that gap. About 10 years ago, my mother calls me out of the blue. She said, I want to have lunch. That's not very typical. I had kids at the time, and so her desire to come and see her grandkids was usually pretty high, and so I figured that was really what was driving it. And actually, when she came to my house, she sat down with me, and she said, Gina, I need... I need to share some things with you. She's, see, my mother was walking through a program called Celebrate Recovery. And the step that she was on required her to sit down with people that she might have hurt in the past and to seek forgiveness. She said, Gina, I am so sorry for being emotionally and verbally abusive growing up. But I need you to understand from the time that I was 12 years old to the time that I was 16, your, older, your, your uncle, my older brother, Sam, would come into my room every night and sexually abuse me. Every single night for four years, I lived in this hell. 
At 16 years old, that abuse came to an abrupt end when my grandfather, her father, discovered it. He put an end to it immediately. But unfortunately for this young dad in Noble, Oklahoma, he didn't know how to help his daughter heal from this trauma. And so he did what he knew was best. They simply didn't talk about it. My mother was left to figure out how to heal from the trauma that she had endured for so long. And honestly, she couldn't predict how it would impact her life. The next piece of the story is the part that really rocked me more than anything. In fact, if I'm honest, it completely shattered me. She said, Gina, what you don't know is you're just like your Uncle Sam. You have his eyes. You have his smile. You even have his personality. Gina, even your hands look like his. It was the missing piece of the puzzle, right? That bit of information right there, when it slammed into place, suddenly it took a picture that was so incomplete for all of my life, and it made it complete. It all came together. It all made sense. I was a walking, living reminder to my mother of the abuse that she suffered as a child. Of course she didn't want to be around me. Of course she, couldn't, she would have trouble engaging with me. Of course it would be a struggle to want to be near me. I get it. That day, she sat across from me. She said, Gina, would you forgive me? Oh my gosh, everything in me said, yes, yes, I forgive you. Can we move from this? Can we heal from this? Can we now have a relationship that I've so desperately wanted for so long? The truth is, when my mother walked away that day, when the door shut behind her, I thought that that knowledge would take all of that pain and all of that hurt and all of that anger away. It didn't. All that knowledge, all, 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 that, all that anger, all that frustration, all that pent-up uh, hurt that I had for so many years, it just shifted from my mom to God. I don't know if it's okay to have come-to-Jesus conversations with God. <laughs> I don't know. I had a whole lot of, with him for the, for the next several months. I would say that I wrestled with him for months after that right? I wrestled with him. Here's the thing. Is it okay to have come to Jesus conversations with God? I don't know, but here's what I believe. His shoulders are broad. And if I can't be completely transparent and honest with him, who in the world can I be transparent and honest with, right? And so I did. I was honest. I went right back, straight back to Psalm 139 verse 14. What in the world? Are you kidding me? Fearfully and wonderfully made? Oh, that's awesome, God, because apparently what you wonderfully made reminded my mom of the abuse that she suffered all of her life. That's great. Your, your creation here, uh, yeah, yeah, your creation cost me my relationship with my mom. Thank you. That was kind of an idea of what those conversations look like. <laughs> Here's the thing. Have you ever had those moments when you read scripture, you've read a verse, you know the verse, you're familiar with the verse, but you read it one day and something about it jumps out at you? You ever had that happen? Yeah. Something about it jumped out at me one day when I was having one of those grappling moments with God. I'm having one of those just breakdowns where I'm like, I don't understand. I don't get it. How in the world could I be fearfully and wonderfully made when what you produced cost me my relationship with my mom? How is this even true of my life when my reality contradicts it? I don't get it. And then I noticed. He said in Scripture... 
I'm fearful. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Wait. My soul knows it very well. Wonderful all your, are your works, and my head knows it very well. No, that's not what it says. It says, wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. As if despite what my head knows, despite what my reality tells me, something deep within the very fibers of who I am simply understands that this is truth, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And what he created is good. That is my declaration of truth. How is it that I could move from from what everything about my reality was telling me to agree with something that seemed to contradict what I was experiencing? Could it be that because we live in a world that's fractured by sin, that the lie is always going to be louder than the truth? The lie will always be louder than the truth. But if we quiet ourselves enough and we, 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 we still ourselves enough, Something inside of us simply agrees that this is true. That scripture became my declaration of truth. Now, just as with the Declaration of Independence, that was just the beginning, wasn't it? Just because you put pen on paper and say, this is what should be. It is not what is, but it's what should be, and it is worth fighting for. That is just the beginning, and this was my beginning. I had to declare this as true of me, whether I, whether I experienced it or not, in hopes that one day I would. And that began the battle. And in God's sovereignty, in that moment when I finally realized that, when I finally decided that despite what I knew and had experienced in my life, this scripture would be true of me, this scripture is true of me, that is when God brought somebody in my life to help me to see how I could move, how I could fight this battle, and I could win the battle for freedom. This woman of wisdom, when we sat down, she, she sat down with me for, uh, for several hours one day as we worked through a lot of the junk that I had been carrying for so long. She said, Gina, the difference in the battle boils down or comes down to the difference between two trees, between choosing one of two trees. And those two trees are actually found and talked about in Scripture, in the book of Genesis, in the book of Genesis chapter 2. In fact, Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, it says, we see that it talks about these two trees. Out of the ground, the Lord caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also is in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, if you're not familiar with the creation account, you can read about how how God created the world and everything in it in the book of Genesis, in the first five chapters of Genesis. And what you see is that God created this perfect place called Eden for all of us to live. And in Eden are all of these beautiful trees. And what he told Adam and Eve, the first people that he created, when he placed them in the garden, he said, listen, you can eat of any of these trees. There's just one that I do not want you to eat the fruit from, and that is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That tree produces fruit, and that's the only fruit I don't want you to eat. Now, why would he say that? Let's look a little bit deeper. See, again, if you go back to that story, and I encourage you to read it if you've never read it before, because Adam and Eve find themselves one day hanging out by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They're curious about it. They want to know more about it. And it was there at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they met somebody for the first time. 
They met Satan. You see, Satan doesn't hang out anywhere else in the garden. He hangs out at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil produces fruit, of the fruit of justice and judgment. And that is all the enemy cares about, is justice and judgment. And so as Adam and Eve are hanging out under that tree, that's when they encounter Satan. And, and to fast forward the story, Satan tempts Eve, and Eve agrees that she, that maybe she can't believe and trust what God told her. Instead, she decides to trust her own instincts. She decides, decides to depend on her own wisdom, and that's when she took the, the fruit and she ate of the fruit of justice and judgment. This, uh, this woman that God had brought into my life, as she was unpacking the story of these two trees, and she was helping me to see that, she said, Gina, here's the difference between the tree, the trees. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil produces the fruit of justice and judgment, but the tree of life produces the, the fruit of grace and mercy. The difference between the two fruits are not inherently bad in and of themselves. Justice and judgment is good, but justice and judgment, when it's abused, is bad. What she helped me to recognize is for all of my life, I had been sitting under the tree of justice and judgment. I have been sitting and eating in the fruit of, of, of justice and judgment for so long. And I had been sitting down there trying. I wanted somebody to pay. I wanted somebody to take responsibility for what I had experienced all of my life. I wanted somebody to blame. Who do I blame? Do I blame my mother? Do I blame my Uncle Sam? Or do I blame, blame God? Who do I blame? Just tell me and I'll blame them. Justice and judgment. The problem is, is that for so many years, I made myself a comfortable spot underneath this tree, expecting that I would find healing there. And I never did. The reason why I never did is because this is not a place of healing. The tree of knowledge is not the place of, eat, of healing. Eating the fruit of justice and judgment is not the place of healing. Healing doesn't come here. Healing is only found at the tree of life, and eating from the fruit of grace and mercy. My battle for freedom was merely a series of steps, the willingness to get up and step over here and move to a different tree, the willingness to reposition myself and to begin to eat of a different fruit, the fruit of life. When I did that, it, the change was overwhelming. When I did that, when I finally stood up and I moved to eating from grace and mercy, the chains dropped. Freedom was the, was the first time I'd exper experienced freedom from this pain ever. I walked away realizing that God never asked me to carry this weight. God never asked me to carry the judgment for my mother. He never asked me to carry the judgment for my uncle and what he did to her. He never asked me to do that. But because I chose to, it was a weight that I, that I carried every single day, and it was too much. And it prevented me from experiencing the life that Christ offers me. It prevented me from experiencing the freedom that he offers me. When I got up and I moved and I began to eat from the tree of life, I began to eat the fruit of grace and mercy. The chains dropped off. And f suddenly, as I was filled with grace and mercy, I was able to extend grace and mercy to those who had hurt me in the past. You see, healing is only found at the tree of life. Healing is only found eating the fruit of grace and mercy. My question for you today is, where are you sitting?
Which tree have you chosen? You might have walked in here today carrying a burden that is so heavy, and you are at the end of your rope, and you are ready to let that go because you are tired. And for just a moment, you'll be honest with yourself. Even if you're not honest with anybody else, would you be honest with yourself? You're ready to let it go. The difference between hanging on to that and releasing and experiencing freedom is a difference between two trees. Which one will you choose? Let's pray. With every head bowed, every eye closed, just listen to my voice. Right now, are you ready? For some of you sitting in this room, you, have, you are walking through or have walked through a broken relationship, divorce. You have been hurt deeply. And you've been carrying that pain and that hurt for so long. For some of you, you've suffered abuse that is inexplicable. And that gaping wound, you desperately want healing. You're ready to step into freedom that you've never known before. Maybe you've been walking with Christ for a long time, and yet you still would say, I'm walking in bondage. Are you ready to release that bondage? If you're ready to be released from that bondage, would you just raise your hand? Because I want to pray for you right now. Would you lift up your hand all over the room, hands going up. Today, right now, bonds are, will be set free as we pray. And so let me just pray over you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Leave your hands up, please, as we pray. God, thank you so much that you came here. Jesus, you came here to die on the cross to, to pay for our sin problems so that you could set, our, set us free. And God, today we are making that choice. And so for every hand that is lifted, for every heart that's in pain today, God, I just thank you so much that you stand ready to bring healing as we make the choice to move from the tree of knowledge to the tree of life. May your grace and mercy wash over us. Hands down. Thank you so much. Remaining in a posture of prayer, heads bowed, eyes closed. For some of you sitting here today, you came today and you don't know Jesus. You've never met him, but you're ready. It could be that your first approach to the tree of life is the first step into the kingdom of God, and you are ready to meet him. Let me just tell you this. This is what we want you to know. Man, here at Faith Promise, we believe that Jesus Christ is God's son, and that he died on the cross to pay for your sins, for your sins, and his death on the cross took care of it. And when you say to him, I believe then your name is written in the land's book of life and you experience the abundant life that he offers you. What I ask you today is, are you sitting here today and are you ready to make that decision? Are you ready to take that step? If you're ready to make that step right now and to invite him into your life, I just want you to lift up your hand. No eyes are looking around. Every head is bowed. Put your hand in the air because we want to pray for you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Here at Faith Promise, we believe that no one, no one prays by themselves. And so as a church together, you have friends that are sitting right beside you. They're going to pray alongside you. And it's as easy as this. Just repeat after me. Say, Jesus Christ, I thank you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for paying for my sins. Now I want to live for you. Make me free. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, all right. Give that. Didn't Pastor Gina do an incredible job? Thank Give you. her a hand.
Our families and our children are so blessed and our campuses to have her leadership, and we are so grateful. You know, I hope that this weekend uh, has stretched your vision a little bit for what God wants to do through our church and that uh, you truly will make a greater commitment to press in and pray for our campuses, for our staff, and for what God is doing in the life of our church and our ministry as it's spread out across this region and literally around the world as we have the opportunity to impact things that God is going to do. Uh, in so many different places around the world, even in Costa Rica and our Costa Rica campus where they worship today as well. And so we, uh, it just for me is a great way to remember that God has called us to support one another and support the team across all of our locations, and I hope you'll be a part of that. And maybe you prayed and asked Christ into your life. There's a communication card in the seat back pocket in front of you, and it's a, something that you can just grab and put your name on. And really the goal of it for us is to help you take next steps in your relationship with Christ. And for us, what we want more than anything is for you to grow and become everything that God has for you. And you know what's great is that we can stand on each other's shoulders. You don't have to have Gina's story or my story. But you can have your own story where you grow and become everything that God wants you to be. Hey, let me remind you of a couple things as well. One, uh, our Global Leadership Summit, there's some cards spread out across our room. Uh, that's coming to an end of the time to register for $89. Uh, we're having that at this location at our Blunt and our North campuses. And so if you're interested in that, please go to our website and register. Take that card as a reminder. It's going to be an incredible opportunity for you to grow and become a greater leader uh, in your job uh, in and the work that you do, or just in life in general, as you're invested in by leaders from around the world as we join in to that simulcast, it's going to be amazing. On August the 5th, if you put that on your calendar, a Friday night at 6.30 in this room, uh, we're going to be celebrating Pastor Chris and Michelle's 20th anniversary at Faith Promise Church. Isn't that amazing that it's been 20 years? Yes. And so, I, you know what, we've already prepared for multiple rooms. I'm praying that there are people just all over uh, this campus. It's like Easter Sunday that day that uh, we just have the opportunity to look back and reflect on what God has done through their leadership. And then also coming up in the next couple of weeks, we start a new series called uh, Religious People Ruin Everything. And uh, that's going to pretty much destroy all of us. So prepare your heart now for that, right? Because uh, we probably will all dislike pastor at a greater level by the time that series is over. Uh, but anyway, we love you guys. Have an incredible 4th of July tomorrow. A great weekend. We'll see you next week. Be blessed. More than just words.